Ah, yes, you can see the title. What are you looking for in 2023? And the reason I ask is uh, chances are you're likely to get what you're looking for or not. <laughs> there was a, a thing that a study and uh, from Dr. Vincent Peel, what did he say? Oh, he had the story about a group of people who at the end of the year wrote down their expectations for the coming year. Each sealed his new expectations in an envelope to be opened and read out loud only at the end of the following year. One man had written, in the next year, I can expect more of the old miserable saying. Well, guess what? That's what he got. A woman listed ten worthy goals she expected to receive, and nine of the ten came to fruition. Another man, basing his expectations on Capricorn, his birth sign, predicted he'd have difficulty and frustrations, and he got them. One man died during the year. When the envelope was opened, his expectation read, as of all, or as all my men in my family have survived, have not survived beyond the age of 60, I expect to die this year. And he did, one month before his 60th birthday. Attitude and determination can make a difference. Um, and along with an attitude adjustment that we sometimes need. You know, anyone can be optimistic. I confess that. Some people, I believe, have a false optimistic uh, look at life. And uh, as Christians, we need to keep it within the will of God and within the understanding of God's Word. This morning, I did want to look at uh, Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 15. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, instructing us to deny godlessness and worldly lust, and to live a sensible, righteousness, and godly way in this present age, while we wait for the blessed hope of the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He gave himself to us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to cleanse for himself a people for his own possession, eager to do good works. Proclaim these things, encourage and rebuke with all authority, let no one disregard you. Now in particular, that last verse was talking to Titus, who was a young preacher, and, and this is one of the pastoral uh, epistles that Paul wrote to Timothy and then wrote to Titus. But it really speaks to all of us when we look at it, because in a way, we're all pastors, we're all called to be godly people, we're all called to be ministers, we're a holy priesthood, God's Word tells us. So, it's good for all of us to look at these verses and to realize what God might want to do with us. Now, as I started out talking about the, the next year and what's going to happen in 2023, we don't know for sure, no one would ever know. Um, I do know this that we have to be careful about labeling things, and, and uh, particularly labeling people. Uh, I have a grandson now that entered into kindergarten, and they found out that he is kind of hard to keep up with, and they've uh, you know, uh, said that he now has HDAD and all that. And the fear I have is that people sometimes label someone when they're very young, and they have a hard time losing that label. 
when I took psychology in college, they told us never to judge people and label people, especially children, when they're so young. And yet we see all the time people judging people. Sometimes it's their color. Sometimes it's their economical, uh, uh, you know, where they are economically. And uh, we shouldn't judge people like that in neither way. And we shouldn't look at one person and say, well, they're all like that. You know, I grew up in a family of uh, 10 kids and Sometimes I heard behind the back, you know, well, just look at all them kids in that house. How did she take care of them? Or how, do, you know, mom and dad were both there. Well, they always took care of us, and we always made it. But sometimes just because we had a big family, we was looked down and, and labeled somewhat. And we're not to do that. Now, science actually tells us there's a word for this, and it's called, not a word, three words, reticular activating system. God put into us a reticular activating system. And what that means is that there is a network of neurons extending from the top of the spinal cord up into the thalamus. It filters incoming sensory stimuli and redirects them to the cerebral cortex, activating the cortex and influencing our state of psychological arousal and alertness. Uh, it works like this. Once something has been brought to our attention and we've learned it, even if we've learned it wrong, we have a tendency to continue believing that way. Um, one of the examples I, I just gave was a child. Uh, there's other examples. For instance, my mother was a good cook. My wife's pretty good, but if I go in and, and I smell a certain type of food, I'm stimulated. I'm ready to eat. My, my mouth may even salivate, you know, because I've been trained that this is good stuff. This leads to something good. Now, um, I heard there was a young man here that has a girlfriend. I have three grandsons. One, well, both of them have graduated Republic now. One graduated this December. And then I have one that's a freshman, and they all three have girlfriends, you know, and, and guess what? When you talk about the girlfriends, their eyes light up a little bit, you know. They've been trained that this is a good thing until they have a fight and an argument and break up, but that's, that's different. But you know what I'm saying. My example was uh, when Nicholas, my youngest, was to be born... It, we six years old this month, so about five and a half years ago, six and a half years ago, we decided we're going to have to have a better car because Sarah drives up there when I don't get to go. She's up there right now, uh, maybe on her way home by now. I don't know, but she's got to see that grandson. And uh, she likes to see her daughter too, but more the grandson than the daughter. And so we needed to get a better car, and we looked around, and I, I never get too much into whether it's a Ford, Nissan, Chevy, or whatever, so we found the best buy to be a gold Impala Chevy. And I thought, well, that's nice. I don't really see too many of them around until I bought it. <laughs> and then it got up there in my mind, and it seemed like every car I saw was an Impala, and a lot of them were gold. And if that wasn't good enough, there were a bunch of Malibus that were the same color gold that didn't look much different. Now, I wouldn't admit this in front of everybody, but some of you are old enough to understand. There's been a few times I've walked out of Walmart and gotten the, or tried to get in the wrong car. <laughs> well, 
you know, at that time when I bought it, I thought, eh, that's the only one like that. But we have something that God has built into us that tells us that and stimulates our thinking. And, uh, you know, we'll talk about that in a little more in just a minute. Uh, but it does help us to see why advertising is so effective. You know, you see that little smile with an arrow on the end of it. What are you thinking about? Amazon? Anybody? <laughs> you see the check mark? What do you think about on a shoe? Nike? Yeah, they're pretty good with, uh, you know, getting your attention and getting your mind. And that's gone on for years and years. And this is why it's so important that we keep our minds on the Word of God. Because too often we're led by the things of the world rather than by the things of God. Um, so if we're looking in God's Word and looking for results for this coming year from God's Word, we're much likely to see the truth of it than not. Uh, if you're a negative Nelly, probably everything's going to be negative. You ever had one of them people? I had to work with a guy one time, and everything was complain, complain, complain. There wasn't anything that he could ever see that was good. And so uh, he was a negative Nelly, although his name wasn't Nelly. It's in Romans 12, 2, we're told, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you might prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, if our RAS is trained to look at things through the word of God, we're going to see a lot of, different, a lot of things different. And uh, I'm not big on New Year's resolutions, and that's not what I'm preaching about. And I'm not preaching about just positive attitude and positive thinking. What I'm talking about today is looking at God, looking at new starts, and understanding that our God is a God of second chances. Our God is a God of new starts. It means that we need to look around and see the world a little different than what we may have been looking at it last year. For instance, rather than saying the world's going to to hell in a handbasket, we might look at it and say, you know, God's word is coming true. We see it more and more and more. God told us it was going to be like that. You know, God's word truly is upon us, and we can see prophecy being fulfilled right in front of us, and we can get angry, and we can get upset, and we can get mad at the world. But it isn't going to do any good because God has already set this in motion. And I don't know how much longer it will be before Jesus comes back, but I do know he's coming back. And whether we'll see it or not, I don't know. But either we're going to see him coming back or we're going to be going to him. And it may not be as long as we think. You know, I was just thinking about this December. Uh, there's about three or four people I went to school with about my same age that have passed away. Uh, I had friends that got in a wreck uh, not long ago over on Marionville and it killed both of them in the end. We've had three people in our church pass away within just a few days before Christmas. So we don't know how long we have. So it would be a good idea to start looking at things with the Lord's eyes rather than looking at it as the world looks at it. It's uh, understood by most Christians 
that nothing is going to happen that hasn't already been foretold to us in the Word of God. So rather than saying, oh my, look at how horrible it is, we might say, praise the God, he, praise the Lord, He's coming back soon, and it's going to be great, and we're going to have relief. And you know, really, we've had a good, air, uh, good life here in the United States of America, but I see a lot of things that are troubling, and we can get all upset about it, and we should do what we can to help other people, and there's no doubt about that. We should do what we can to help ourselves and to be responsible, but in the end, we know that that time is coming when things aren't going to be as good, and are we going to look at God and say, oh, what's the matter with you? Are we going to look at God and say, you know what, you've given everybody an opportunity to be saved. You sent your son to die for us. That we have every opportunity to find true life in Jesus Christ. And what have we done with it? Well, let's go back and look at the verses again. In verse 11 it says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Now that doesn't mean we're talking about universal salvation. That doesn't mean everybody's going to heaven. There is no hell. You know, just be sincere. That's not at all what it means. What it means is he sent his son so we have the opportunity to be saved. We have the opportunity to turn to Jesus. We have the opportunity to enter into the kingdom of God and to enter into eternal life. So our point is not to try to force people to follow God, but just to tell them about how good our Lord is and about their opportunity of salvation in Jesus Christ and to let the Holy Spirit do His work in their lives. Our job is to plant seeds so that people might be saved. It's much easier just to go around and say, well, you know what, I've known that kid since he was 10 years old and he's nothing but trouble Forget about ever getting him in church. Forget about him ever being saved. I've went to pastor churches before and people would say, well, there's no use talking to so-and-so. And, And, uh, you know, they never got saved, but they really weren't so bad to talk to. (laughs) They weren't that horrible of a person. And we're not to judge whether they can be saved or not. We're to give them the word. We're to love them and we're to lead them towards God to help them become a little closer to to understanding Jesus. So instead of looking at the lost world as unworthy of our love, let's remember Jesus said that he loved them. Let's remember that they weren't unworthy of his love. Let's remember that they, uh, or excuse me, Jesus died for us while we were yet sinners. And so we need to look at people and understand that there may be an opportunity this year to see someone saved that maybe we didn't expect them to be saved. And we might also remember, but for for the grace of God, there I go. Since I wasn't saved until I was 20 years old, I have a good understanding of that. Wasn't around church much. And I know without a doubt, if there wasn't someone who witnessed to me and someone who took me to church, I would have probably never been saved and wouldn't have been any different than most of the people we see in the world today. So when I was saved, it's kind of a slow growth, but I got around more and more Christian people. I got around more Christian men and saw how Christian people were supposed to live. And my uh, reticular activating system, reticular activating system, kind of changed over the years as you start to see things different. But 
if we don't have Christ in our life, we're not going to see things as being any different. We're just going to look and, and be grumpy and grouchy and you know, we're going to forget that this world is not our own. We're just passing through. We're going to forget that we're not going to be here through eternity. We're just going to be here a little while, and then the Lord's taking us away. We need to remember that God has a better place for us, but while we're here on earth, we're to be a witness to Him. I'm just always amazed at how many people in other countries that are being persecuted so severely, put in jail, and even killed, continue to be a witness for Jesus Christ right up until their death if they don't get out of jail before. And we have some Americans in jail in other countries because they went over there to be witnesses, and yet their faith is uh, just uh, something that I would have a hard time understanding because I've never had to go through that. But God has a way of coming to us when we need him most. Now uh, the second verse was 12. Instructing us to deny godlessness and worldly lust. And to live a sensible, righteous, and godly way in this present age. So how are we to live in, in 2023? Well, right there it tells us. We're to be sensible. We're to be godly. We're to get away from godlessness. And be as God would have us to be. Now, Epicurus was a Greek philosopher. He lived before Jesus. He believed that the goal in life was pleasure. Now, he was a little better than the drink or eat, drink, and be merry type of hedonist we see so often today. His philosophy was you should do what is based on what will give you long-term satisfaction. And if that means... Uh, uh, foregoing short-term pleasure or experience short-term pain, that's what's best. So if you need an operation and you go through short-term pain, well, that's okay because you're looking at what's best in the long run. However, the, uh, <laughs> the hedonists we see today don't look at the end result. They just look at the pleasure for now. Do what feels good. Do it now. Worry about yourself. Put yourself first. Don't worry about the consequences. We're all going to probably die anyway. Life is short. Eat, drink, and be merry. Do what feels good and what makes you happy at the time. And forget about the consequences. And we have so many in the world that are living that way that it's affecting the rest of the world. And we do reap what we sow, but the world reaps what we sow also. And we are affected by what the world reaps. That's why we need to continue to tell people about Jesus and continue to try to get people saved. Uh, Hebrews 11.6 says, He who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder for those who seek him. So we're not just to look for the pleasure that is in front of us, but we are to look for, uh, to the things of God and to ways to please our God. You know, from about... Thanksgiving through New Year's Day last year, I became a hedonistic in my eating. Everything that looked good to the palate, I took on. I also took on about 12 pounds of weight through that <laughs> four or six week period. Uh, I decided not to do that this year. I've lost the weight and, and I gained a little back, but uh, not that much. But that's what hedonistic living is. You just take what's good at the time 
not thinking about what the, the end result is. And Christians should not get caught up in that. We need to look at the end result. We need to look at what makes a difference, not just in our life here on earth, but in our eternal life. There's nothing wrong with understanding that there are rewards in heaven. There's nothing wrong with wanting to go to heaven. You know, you hear people say, well, he's so heavenly minded and he's no earthly good. But I don't believe that's true. I believe that when we see that we have something in front of us, we can deal more with the hardships that come upon us on this earth because we know that life is but a vapor and that it's soon gone. And so we stick to believing and trusting in the Lord regardless of what we go through. We set our mind or our reticular activity activating system to believe that regardless of what comes into our life God can take care of it and in the end doesn't it say that all things work together to the good for those who love the Lord and are called according to his purposes so we believe that even if we suffer and we may suffer a whole lot more for being a Christian in the in the years to come you know things are sliding away from America being a Christian uh, country in fact, most people will tell you we're post-Christian. And the statistics show that there's less Christians now than non-Christians. And common sense will tell you a lot of people say they're Christians aren't Christians. And I'm sorry, but that's just the truth. You can't live the way some people live and then say, well, yeah, but I'm a Christian. No, you're a Christian when you dedicate yourself to the Lord, you follow the Lord, and you live according to His teachings. That doesn't mean that we don't fall short at times. Doesn't mean that we don't uh, get tricked into sin or sometimes let sin come into our life because we think it's pleasurable. But when the Holy Spirit gets a hold of us and tells us that's wrong, we repent of it and we turn back to God, we turn back to Jesus. It's so important to remember that Jesus has given us a way to live, not only by word, but by example. Well, let's look at verse 13. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing in glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Have you ever imagined what it's going to be like to see God in His glory? Have you ever imagined what it's going to be like to see Jesus when He comes back? Have you ever thought about the Mount of Transfiguration where Peter, Paul, and John went up with Jesus and here appears Moses and Elijah and all of a sudden Jesus began to be bright and light and Peter, uh, Peter and John... I said Paul, it's not Paul. Peter, James, and John, I'm sorry. <laughs> they, you know, they were so frightened and, and the bright light took them over so much, they just basically fell asleep. You know, this is the glory of God. And yet, in the Old Testament, and I was just reading it the other day in my own reading, you know, God told Moses that man cannot see him and live. Not in the state that we're in. We have to have a glorified body. We have to be given our new body before we can see him in all his glory. He put Moses in the cleft of the rock and put his hand upon it so Moses only seen the back part of him. And I don't understand all that, but I do know this, that God is so glorious it's going to be unbelievable when we see him. And because of that, we need to be living for him now. We need to be understanding now um, because of the rewards that our Lord is bringing when he does return. But the greatest reward is just the revelation of himself. I know that as a Christian, I'm much, a much better person than I would have been if I had not surrendered my life to Jesus. 
I know I'm more fulfilled with Jesus as my Lord than I would be had I followed along with the way of the world. And I think the fulfillment is more important than being happy. A lot of people, oh, I just want to be happy. I just want my kids to be happy. Well, that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that we need to follow Jesus. We need to live for the Lord. And happiness is a byproduct of that. When we live for the Lord, we'll have happiness that we wouldn't have otherwise. But if you're just out there searching for happiness and thinking that, well, maybe God's one of the ways I can have happiness, it doesn't happen that way. It's when you lose your life that you gain your life. So you have to give up your life and your own desires to the desires of Jesus. And then the joy and the happiness of living a Christian life will also come with it. I know that there's times when I let people down. There's times when I get a little bit down myself. And there's times when I wonder, Lord, why are you doing this? And, and we've all had these prayer requests and Sometimes they were for ourselves and sometimes for others. And we wonder, you know, Lord, why is that going on? But we have to understand that God knows everything that's happening long before it happened. And he is able to take care of any situation we found ourselves in. Before I was saved, I didn't have a moral compass. I didn't have anything driving me. I didn't have anybody telling me what was right or wrong. I just went along with the world. And, you know, if the world said it was okay, it must be okay. I mean, all my friends feel that way, so it must be okay. But then, when you're looking at the Bible and you see that God does have a moral direction for us. God does give us a moral compass. God does give us the Ten Commandments. They aren't the Ten Suggestions. He gives us those commandments, not because He wants to show that I'm boss. He gives them to us in order to help us live a better life, and have a better life. Someday there is going to be a new heaven and a new earth, and uh, it'll be great. Have you ever read through uh, Revelations chapter 20, 21, 22? Man, that's where we're headed if we believe in Jesus. That is so wonderful that sometimes we forget it. You know, we let the world get us down when we're not going to be around this world forever. We're going to be with the Lord. Well, let's move on. Verse 14. And he gave himself for us to redeem us from lawlessness and to cleanse for himself a people for his own possession, eager to do good works. We're not saved by good works, but we are saved to do good works. And we should be eager to do those good works. Now, I know as a pastor that sometimes it gets tiring. Sometimes it's hard. But we should do it because the Lord has asked us to. The Lord has led us to. And we need to be like Him. Look at His own life on this earth. Can you imagine how hard that life was for the normal man? But for a man that was going against culture, for a man that was going against the flow, for a man that was a, a Jewish man and yet the most religious Jewish people on earth at that time hated him and ended up turning him over to Pilate so that he could be crucified. Can you imagine how hard it was? Can you imagine leaving heaven, uh, the golden streets as we're told, and coming down to the dirty old dusty life that he had to live? You know, he didn't even have cars. He didn't even have paved roads. And the roads that he walked down were the same roads that the animals walked down. And that's why they had a habit of uh, washing people's feet when they came into your house. Your feet got dirty. 
Uh, it got nasty. That's the kind of life that Jesus came to, not because he had to, but because he loved us so much that he did. And so we should be willing to understand and to live for him, willing to realize that he didn't redeem us just for the sake of numbers, but he redeemed, what did it say? For a people for his own possession. We are a people for God's own possession because of Jesus Christ. And so we need to act like it. He wants people to love him. He wants people to serve him, not because of uh, compulsion or fear, even though we, we should be smart enough to fear the Lord, but we should also serve him more because we love him and we realize his love in our life. Now, I'm not a prophet, and I don't begin to believe, be one. Ugh, I don't pretend to be one, but I know that in 2023, there's going to be more death, more heartache, more poverty, more loneliness, more bad things of all kinds, because the world keeps on turning to humanism. And that's the idea that you don't need God, that humanity can solve all its problems without God. Well, just look around at the world. Doesn't seem like it's solving a lot of them, does it? It's not working out so great. We have a, a rise in crime rate in our own nation. We have uh, people looking to things like the UN in order to give us guidance when we've been lied to from them over and over. We have concentration camps in China, uh, basically slave camps, and uh, they're making much money out of. I just read an article today about uh, people in the Congo who are digging out these minerals for your lithium batteries, and they tell you, oh, we got all the good machinery, but this one person who was... First of all, he was a professor at Harvard, so he was no dummy. And second of all, he wasn't one of those white people that are out to get everybody. He was a darker-complected person, very intelligent. And he got into these places at Harvard, uh, Harvard, <laughs> in the Congo, and took some pictures, and I've seen them on the Internet. People literally barefooted, carrying out these minerals in big bags to the top of the hill where they dumped them into another place. You know, and yet when they were asked, the Chinese who were controlling these mines said, oh no, we're using modern equipment. You know, we're being lied to all over. This world is not getting better. This world is getting worse. And our only hope is Jesus Christ. Look at the sex trafficking in our own country. Heaven only knows how many of our high officials are involved in some of that. It's really terrible when you look into that and read some of the stories that we've seen in that. This world, in a way, is becoming a big septic tank. And we need Jesus and we need Christian people to live like Jesus, even if that means sacrificing things in our own life. And in the case of some, sacrificing their life. There's been martyrs from the beginning of the Christian era and there's more martyrs in the 20th century and the 21st century than ever before. And so uh, this living with the idea of man knows all and has all the answers just isn't working too good. And it certainly is going against the grain when you say, I'm going to trust God. I want God's answers and not man's answers. 
Well, I'm going to finish. Some of you probably wondered if I was ever going to finish. You've all stayed awake, and I give you credit for that because I was up late too, and I was getting kind of tired. But our singing was pretty peppy this morning, so that kept me going. But uh, this is uh, meditations or prayers from the Puritans. You know, they, they um, spoke in King James, and so this may sound like a King James version. It's from the Valley of Vision. And this particularly, uh, particular meditation is called Man's Great End. Lord of all being, there is one thing that, deserve, that deserves my greatest care, that calls forth my ardent desires, that is, that I may answer the great, great end for which I am made, to glorify Thee who has given me being, and to do all the good I can for my fellow man. Verily, life is not worth having if it not be, if it be not improved for this noble purpose. Yet, Lord, how little of this the thought of all mankind. Most men seem to live for themselves without much of any regard for thy glory or for the good of others. They earnestly desire and eagerly pursue riches, honors, pleasures of this life, as if they supposed that wealth, greatness, and merriment could make their immortal souls happy. But alas, what a false, delusive dreams these are. And how miserable ere long will those be that sleep in them. For all our happiness consists in loving thee, and being holy as thou art holy. Oh, may I never fall into the tempers and vanities, the sensuality and the folly of the present world. It is a place of inexpressible sorrow, a vast empty nothingness. Time is a moment, a vapor, and all its enjoyments are empty bubbles, fleeting blasts of wind, for which nothing satisfactory can be derived. Give me grace always to keep in covenant with, we, with thee and to rejoice as a delusion, a great name here or hereafter, together with all sinful pleasures or profits. Help me to know continually that there can be no true happiness, no fulfilling of thy purpose for me apart from a life lived in and for the son of my love. What's happening in 2023 and how you are perceiving it has a lot to do with how much you're looking at God's Word. You know, when we look at God's Word, we certainly have a better understanding of what's going on with mankind. We certainly have an understanding that there is going to be a time of destruction in this world. And we also know that Jesus is coming back. Now, I'm not telling you to go sell everything you have and go live on a mountain and, and wait for Jesus' return because it may be another hundred years yet. You know, God's time is not our time. But I am telling you that time is coming and we should live as if it could be today because it could be. You know, that's what we're told. Live as if it could be today. And part of that living as if it could be today is to do all the good you can to help other people. Galatians 6.10 tells us that, that we should help others as much as possible, especially those of the household of faith. And so we need to live for Jesus every day with the idea that he could come back 
You know, and when he comes back, is he going to find us faithful? That's the question the Bible, the Bible asks. Is he going to find us faithful? Well, let's stand. And uh, we have an invitation hymn. And if the Lord leads you to talk to me or, or Jeff or whoever, this would be a, a time to do it. Maybe you just need to pray right where you're at and ask the Lord to help you see things as he sees them in this year to come.